does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. The Colts do take on the first-place Minnesota Vikings on Saturday afternoon football, 1 p.m., Kirk Cousins, <laughs> by the way, against 1 p.m., Matt Ryan, which honestly may be pretty good. No? It's a fun Saturday tilt. I'll be there. Not there, there, but I'll be watching. I mean, it's it's. I, I mean, we were talking about if this is a primetime game. In a way, in a way, no. But in a way, it's the only game. It's the only game on television. It's a nationally televised game, right? But to me, like a Saturday afternoon, to me, like every bar in Wrigleyville, for example, will have this game. Indeed. On. Indeed. Every bar in Los Angeles will have. Every bar Indeed. in New York, Miami, for sure. So to me, that's enough to kind of. Give primetime Kirk Cousins a shot. I understand you're trying to speak the primetime Kirk Cousins curse into existence, <laughs> but by definition, it's not primetime. Uh, Joel Erickson is going to join us on the hotline. Brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and the themowershop.com from the Indianapolis Star. Joel, we appreciate the time as the Colts get set to take on 1 p.m. Kirk Cousins. Uh, we were listening to some sound bites earlier from Jeff Saturday. My first question to you, Joel, is clearly... Saturday wants the gig. My question is, do the players want him to get the gig? And does the front office want him to get get the gig? Do you have a feel for that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the players have been um, encouraged by the, like, the way that he's handled it probably better than I think anybody expected. You know, they keep talking about his energy and his leadership. Um I don't, I don't, I don't know. After after going one and three, I mean, I think the the whole point was to try to get him back into it. I don't know if. I don't know if right now, four games into it, you feel like he's he's earned that. I, at least at least from my standing, I, it's hard for me to know with 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 uh, what what you know the the only guy who matters is Ursay, and it's hard for me to know what he's thinking because so much of what he's done this year has kind of been, um, kind of outside the box of conventional thinking. But so it's hard for me to know exactly what he would want to do. But I I just keep thinking, you know, that they made the change to sort of reset them and get them back on track, and instead they've essentially fallen out of the playoff race. Joel, we had an opportunity to talk to Mike Chappell yesterday, and he kind of mentioned that the overall vibe, West 56, the overall vibe within the locker room is that, yes, we know everybody's still fighting for jobs both next year and beyond, so no one's going to you know lay down and quit, but the vibe is still trust and camaraderie behind Matt Ryan as the quarterback, trust and camaraderie behind Jeff Saturday in the, with his interim title. Do you have, you have similar sentiment that you've gathered from within that complex? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think – I never thought that this team was really a, a candidate for one of those splinter-type teams. They don't they're, – they're, they're built in a way – and the, the personalities in there are built in a way where they, they, they kind of rally around each other no matter what. Now, that's that's good for the, the way the locker room works It, it in terms of how this goes. It, it probably gets a little bit too much credit for whether or not a team's going to be good or not. We're probably seeing the results of that. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think that there's necessarily been – but we just don't have a lot of the stuff that you'd normally have coming out of a locker room of a of a team that's that's had a this disappointing a season in terms of you know backstabbing and infighting and stuff like that. And I think that that's that's probably just a a byproduct of of the way this team was was put together. Joel, talking about Saturday afternoon, this is a question I've asked all of our Colts guests this week. Want to get your thoughts on it? Is 
The, the Colts defense has been good enough seemingly this year, but are they good enough to stop what is a potent attack featuring Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson? Well, it's, it's interesting because the, the, the Vikings, if you look at them, uh, I mean, obviously they're 10-3. and three, They're going to win their division. They're, they're going to host a playoff game, and, and they've had a, re- a pretty good season. But it's, it's a team that is also uh, more vulnerable than a 10-3 and three team should be. I, I think the stat I saw last week was that if you switch the outcome of every one-score game, the Vikings are like one in, were like 1-11 going into last week. Um, and, and so that there's usually chances against this team. Now, Dalvin Cook, this team's been fairly good against the run. I mean, the Dallas game being an exception. I think when, they get, when teams get on the perimeter, which the Vikings can do with Cook, they've been worse when they're not running straight at Buckner and, and Stewart. Um, so I think that's that's the way to do it. Justin Jefferson, I feel like it feels like the Vikings do a pretty good job of moving him around and getting him spots. I wonder if we see Gilmore on him. They've done that a little bit this season. They don't do it in every matchup, but it feels like that's that's the one that this is one that's crying out for it. Joel Erickson, nice enough to join us on the hotline. Brought to you by the Motor Shop in Fishers. You can follow Joel on Twitter at Joel A Erickson, and of course you can get. All your mower needs and snowblower needs at themotorshop.com and the Motor Shop in Fishers. Joel, when you observe where this team is at, and I know the team isn't necessarily saying this, I guess Jeff Saturday did, but the state of the season right now, four games left. Yes, they're still mathematically in the mix to make the playoffs. I, I That ship sailed for me weeks ago, but... What else are they going to say, right? They're not going to say they're going to lay down. Uh, in your mind, though, with Matt Ryan still under center... And this being a Vikings defense that has struggled against the pass, but a Colts offense that has struggled to pass the ball, is it going to matter truly having Matt Ryan under center, or is this simply a this really is the best option that they have at their disposal? I, I think I think that I think that this, this last four games is a chance for, for Ryan to kind of reset a little bit, just because the defenses they're going against are not nearly as as good or as or as keyed up. Or I should say the matchup is a little bit better. I mean, the Vikings have good pass rushers. They they haven't been anything like the Cowboys were this season, uh, in terms of getting after the quarterback. You know, they they don't they don't bring as many pressures. They're not as good at bringing the pressure. The, the Vikings defense actually is is pretty pretty rough in most categories, and so I, I think there's some opportunity there. I, I think what you're going to see down the stretch though is they're going to continue to try to run the ball, and they might find. Uh, some some better sledding here because the, the Vikings run defense has not been good over the last uh, six games or so. The and then the three teams after that are, are three of the worst run defenses in the league. So I think that's probably what you're going to see is they they try to pound Taylor as much as possible and, and reduce the impact the passing game has to play. But it's it's not it's not the same types of defenses as like when they were going against Dallas or Philly or New England or some of these defenses that have been really good at sacking quarterbacks and intercepting them this season. Joel Erickson's with us from the Indianapolis Star. Joe, Joel, you mentioned getting Jonathan Taylor going. To you, has his inconsistent season been more because of injury? Has it been more because of just the offense has been stagnant, or does it come down to the offensive line more so? I think ultimately it, it rests on the offensive line. I think when he's been healthy, we've we've seen you can see some of the same burst and and you know violent running style that we saw last year they're just not run blocking as well they're, they're not they, they changed over uh three of the six most important parts of that of that unit if you count the tight end um 
the, those those spots have have obviously been been struggles all season long. Not not just in the pass game, but in the running game, and he hasn't had as much room. Um, you know, I, I think one of the other things is like last year. I think where you can see that is last year they had to go run heavy because they didn't trust their passing game for dis- different reasons. But when they did that against stack boxes, they were still able to get something going because they they had really good run blockers in almost every spot. Um, even even like Eric Fisher, who really struggled as a pass blocker, was great as a run blocker last year. That hasn't been the case this season. He doesn't have nearly as much room, and so I think that's probably the biggest. That's probably the biggest thing that the injury in the middle part of the season uh, definitely played a role in what he was in his production. But over this last couple of games, it feels like you see a flash of him early. You see a flash of what happens when he can get in the open field early, and then they can't sustain it because teams just gear up on first down and and there's no room for him to run. Joel, the late season bye week has become an unfortunate accustomation for the Colts and the fan base the last couple of years. And if you're in a better situation than the Colts are, you might welcome a late season bye week to get you refreshed and get you ready for the push for the postseason ultimately. Again, I know the Colts technically still have a postseason push on paper, but what was the messaging and the biggest takeaways for what uh, just Saturday and company wanted to see out of the bye week and where their barometers are for that being a success ultimately when they take the field against Minnesota. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because a lot of people have been asked about the bye week and it's pretty much been, um, you know, kind of, kind of what you'd expect just in terms of it's good to get a chance to rest and recharge. And, and I don't know that we've had a, a lot said about, you know, what things might've changed over the bye week. I mean, they might be trying to play that close to the vest. They might feel like they can't, make big changes given some of the issues they have with personnel. But I don't feel like there's been a, even though it's been asked, like the, the questions about the bye week have been asked this week, I don't feel like it's been, it's been made a big deal of. Maybe the way it would have been, like you said, if, if they're in the playoff race, I think that this late bye week you feel like, okay, we get a chance to get healthy and, and figure some stuff out for the playoff push. I, we haven't heard that. Like I said, maybe, maybe there's something out there that we don't know about. They, they've, they've made changes before without us knowing until game day. But they haven't said a whole lot about it so far this week. Joe, what would a win do for the chances of Saturday maybe getting a better shot to stick around, specifically this week? Um, I think it, I mean, it would obviously help because it would change the trajectory they've been going on. Um, it, I think ultimately, though, it's going to have to – well, again, this, again this, is, this is sort of the conventional, like what I'm thinking of it. I think it has to be coupled with, uh, you know, maybe almost a three and one finish to get you to four and four. I feel like, I feel like if you made the change away from Reich when you when he was three five and one with this team and two of those games being done by a quarterback who'd never started before, I feel like if you end up three and five, to me, to me, I don't feel like that's enough to to earn you the job. But I, I don't know exactly what they feel like in the Colts building. Joel, based on what you've seen over your time covering the team and since Kenny Moore has been a part of this team, I know he was still out with an ankle injury yesterday, but but off the scooter. I know Nate Atkins had reported that uh, as practice unfolds, as you see it today and as you see it the next couple of days, is it simply a limited participant at this point for Kenny that would motivate you to think that he's going to be in action or is this still a week or two away in your mind before he's back on the field? I think the fact that we haven't, I think the fact that he wasn't out there after the bye, like he does have the boot off, but it's so hard the way they, the way they handle those. I think it was a cast too. I don't think it was a boot. Um, and the way they handle those, the fact that it's a cast is a little bit more intense because they'll, they'll put a boot on just about any injury. 
um, to destabilize it. To, or just, I mean, not to destabilize, to stabilize the injury. They'll 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 put a boot on just about anything. It's almost like an ankle brace now. Um, but it, this was a cast, and so I think that that probably means it, it's going to be a little bit longer for him. Joel, I enjoyed your story on Jelani Woods uh, in the last week in November. I mean, arguably, he's been one of the bright spots of the offense when it comes to working with Matt Ryan. Why do you think Woods and Ryan have such a camaraderie so quickly? Is it just that Ryan enjoys using his tight ends and Woods has stepped up to the plate or something else? I think it's I think it's pretty much that. And I think the other thing is that he adds something that, that this offense hasn't had since Eric Ebron had his, his career year in 2018 and they've needed for a long time, which is a, pl- a playmaking tight end who can get down the field. You know, I think they've seen good stuff from Kylan Granson too, but not, not so much in the explosive play category. Whereas every time Woods is on the field, he's making plays down the field, he's ripping off chunk plays. And that's, that's something that Ryan always did in Atlanta. It's been harder for them to do because of the, the protection issues here. But I think it just kind of naturally fits the way he's played. Like he probably recognizes some of the guys he played with before in the way that Woods can attack a scene and get down the field. Well, Joe, Mo Alley-Cox is about 29 or so. So is Woods like, and I understand Alec Ogletree got hurt during training camp, so really he hasn't had a chance to prove himself at all since he went down so quickly at camp. I mean, I remember when that happened. Um, Is Woods like the leader in the clubhouse right now, per se, when it comes to maybe you go to one of these tight ends on a regular basis next year? Well, I, so I think a, a, big, a big question that we don't have an answer to is that we don't know what the offense is going to be next year. Uh, in, in, the, in the current offense, they have always used two tight ends for more than 50% of the snaps. So you basically have two starters at tight end. Um, and then there's, there's one that's usually a blocker. The, the receiving tight end previously, because they, they'd had seasons where they ran it more, uh, hadn't gotten as many snaps. But that, that's the other position in it. What happens with the new offense coming in, how that person, whatever, whatever the next coordinator or next head coach wants to do, that's going to dictate what they want to do with the tight end group. Because, you know, Moelle Cox might, it might, might going forward, Moelle Cox might be the blocker and Jelani Woods might be the receiving tight end. What that looks like in terms of, with Granson sprinkled in there, what that looks like is going to depend on, this is the hard part with, with future, looking for, to the future with all these guys is, we don't know what the next system is going to be and we don't know, how they're going to run that. So once we find that out, that'll make it easier for us to plant these guys in going forward. Joel Erickson, nice enough to join us of the Indy Star. You can follow Joel on Twitter, Colts Insider for IndyStar.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Joel A. Erickson. Joining us on the Motor Shop and Fishers Hotline for all your snowblowers, traditional lawnmowers, commercial, residential, you name it, they have it for you at the Motor Shop and Fishers in the MotorShop.com. Joel, as you look at this team and you see moves like having Bernard Ryman as your left tackle and giving him a full body of work these next already going on two weeks now, three weeks into the final four weeks of the season, what other young players on this roster or players that are up in the air for their status next year do you expect to monitor or where are you going to monitor on this team over these final four for pieces that could be part of the future for the Colts. Yeah, I think anybody on a rookie contract, you assume that they're playing for a chance to be um, part of the initial plan because you're, you're not going to, you're probably not going to cut ties with somebody who's on a rookie contract. They're, 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 you know, cheap controllable assets and you don't, you don't cut ties with them as much. I think, you know, somebody like Paris Campbell, who's had a pretty good season, um, 
is a guy who can maybe keep himself around or give himself better chances in, in the free agent market if he has a good stretch. I mean, he's, I think he's at 50 catches right now. Uh, he's in he's in a contract year, you know, so that's that's somebody you don't know if he'll be back or not, if he's going to move on. Every catch he gets probably helps him when he gets into the market this offseason, uh, if he gets to the market or if the Colts try to re-sign him. Um, the other thing, the other thing to watch is just some of these veterans, and I don't know if we're going to get good answers, but usually when a team resets and rebuilds, there's some veterans who end up being gone, and it depends on how big the rebuild is, whether or not it's just it, it's determined by play, or whether or not it's just determined by contract and what they what assets they can get back. That's another question that we don't know until we get a chance to figure out exactly what the direction of the franchise is after this season. You know, if is is it going to be a situation where these really good teams, where where some they might want to move a really good player just in order to get draft assets? Joel, we'll get you out of here on this. We were talking about this before you joined in about the Colts' musical chairs of quarterback seemingly has continued year in and year out over the last five, six years. Well, suddenly, per at least some odds makers, the Colts are the betting favorite to potentially land Aaron Rodgers if he decides to go elsewhere. Uh, in your mind, can this team afford another quarterback plug-and-play, or do they just need to commit to somebody young and let it roll? I think I think they got to go young. I think they got to go young, and I think part of it is the the infrastructure that would have uh, would have led you to be let a veteran quarterback to be infra- interested in them have not been there this season. They they've seen how many times Matt Ryan's got hit. They've seen all that stuff. Um, they they've seen all that stuff, so they 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 know. And I think I think at this point you got to take a swing with the young guy. Joel Erickson from the Indianapolis Star with us before practice. Joel, we appreciate the time very much, and enjoy covering things on Saturday. Okay, okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Joel. Joel Erickson from the Indianapolis Star on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. The Mower Shop. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Jimmy Cook and Brendan King here on The Fan. Eddie Garrison bringing us in with high-quality tunes all week long. Warriors and Pacers set to get underway later this evening. Warriors taking place in the second game of a back-to-back after falling to the Milwaukee Bucks 128-111 to on the road last night. The radio voice of the Golden State Warriors, the great Tim Roy, nice enough to take some time with us today. Uh, Tim, first off, thank you so much for joining us. And secondly, uh, news a couple moments ago with it being announced that Clay Thompson out tonight. Uh, that's obviously, at least per the Warriors, injury management. It's been the case for him on back-to-backs throughout this season. I want to get your thoughts on that, how this team has looked without him during those instances, and then uh, their performance against the Bucks last night in Milwaukee. Well, let's start with last night. That was really a choppy game. 
um, real difficult to uh, to get anything positive out of that. There were a lot of, you know, nobody was happy coming out of that game. The Warriors weren't really thrilled. I don't know if the Bucks were. I think the Bucks were happy with the win, but I think there's some things that they would like to clean up, and and the officials probably weren't happy because they got yelled at a lot. So it was just a just a tough game all the way around, and and it just also continues to highlight what has been a real, you know, head-scratching trend for this team, and that is that their defense on the road has just been totally different than the defense um, at home. And so as a result, it, it, it makes it difficult for them to win. And the third part out is we're finding out just how important Andrew Wiggins is to their team. Uh, they've you know dropped some games here recently, and, and Wiggins is a difference maker. He really is. When you add him to – you know, Clay, Draymond, and Steph, then you're formidable. And so getting Wiggins back, and, and tonight he's not going to play. Clay's not going to play tonight. You know, when Clay doesn't play, you know, you really have to get something out of your bench because Jordan Poole will start. He's got he's got a score. And then somebody off your bench has to come through, and that's been, that's been an up-and-down uh, part of the equation this year with Golden State because they have basically a new bench and they're trying to push younger players into roles that maybe, you know, emotionally they may not be ready for. But, you know, say a kid like Jonathan Kaminga only in the last, say, two or three weeks has really started to look like the pro they think he can be. So uh, as that progresses over the course of the season, I think you'll see the Warriors be a little bit better when facing a situation like they're facing tonight. Hey, Tim, this is Brendan. I know you mentioned the road defense being different than what you guys have seen in the Bay this year. 2-12 and 12 on the road. Can you pinpoint anything to why Golden State's defense just has not been the same in road play? You know, I, I think at the beginning of the year, I, I, my thought was, okay, they've got a new bench um, and a veteran team. You know, what do I mean by that? The new bench, these guys are trying to figure out how to play, how to play with Steph Curry, how to play with Draymond, how to play with Clay and Wiggins. And so, you know, that takes time. There's no, you know, very few teams automatically jump out with a brand new, you know, guy, a squad of guys coming off the bench. And the veteran part of it is that the core of this team knows that uh, a great run in November means nothing, that they have to gear it up in the second half of the season to get to where they want to go. And so I think psychologically as players get older, and especially championship-type players, I think it's very hard for them to get up over and over again for games in November uh, unless you have, like last year, a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. You know, they were coming off of two years, one where they didn't make the playoffs and the worst record in the league, and the other where they lost in the play-in. And so there was motivation last year. Clay had motivation last year. So I think this year uh, this team's trying to grind its way through to the season and and try to figure out how to get themselves going in the second half. Tim, you mentioned the not only just the absence of Clay Thompson tonight, but the absence of Andrew Wiggins. And just in general, as this team fights through back to backs and goes through the grind of the schedule, and I know you mentioned how Kaminga's kind of come on the last couple of games. How is not just his role, but in general, the likes of Jordan Poole, uh, Steph Curry, carried the weight in these back-to-backs and also over the stretch without Wiggins uh, so far this year? Yeah, yeah. Steph is questionable with a, a right knee thing. He it looked like he banged knees last night with Giannis. And then 
Uh, Draymond's probable with a left ankle. Uh, you know, Steph has played some of the best basketball we've ever seen him play. He's in tremendous shape. Uh, I hope he plays tonight so you guys get a first look at him. I hope he's okay and, and plays because he is uh, finishing as well as he ever has at the rim. He has added more uh, of a repertoire of floaters now than ever before, so he can score just about any level as soon as you cross half court. And so he's playing really, really well. You know, Draymond is Draymond. He uh, he basically is the, the the heartbeat of the team, if you will, in, in the sense where you know he controls thing everything on the defensive side. You know, like him, not like him. Uh, he is one of the smartest basketball players that's ever come through in this game. And he just understands how to play at the pro level and angles and, you know, personnel. And, you know, very rarely do you see Draymond, you know, we, we see this with guys, you know, they close out to a non-shooter who then skips the ball to a guy that can really shoot, right? It's like, why? What are we doing there? You know, so Draymond very rarely does that. You saw that last night. He was not good. And he saw on, on last weekend against Boston, he wasn't going to close out hard to Marcus Smart. He's not going to close out hard to Giannis because he knows that a three-point shot by those guys is maybe better than something else. So, um, so yeah, the, those guys carry the weight in the situation because they're also directing guys like Kaminga and Moody and people like that who are trying to, you know, figure out, you know, where they fit in the NBA. Tim, I know a guy that you used to see a lot more often that you only see twice a year now is Tyrese Halliburton with your former home, the Sacramento Kings. Um you know, Halliburton as a young player in this league and you getting to see him much more frequently when he was in the Western Conference, just your thoughts on him and his game and how he has developed here in Indiana now since the trade from Sacramento. Well, it's funny, you know, when the Kings drafted him, you know, everybody was raving about him. And like most NBA announcers, you know, I don't get a lot of time to spend watching college. But when after the draft, usually what I do is, and, you know, much to the chagrin of my wife, I go back and look at the film of guys and, and you know in college and their workouts and see if they went to the combine that kind of thing. And he just looked like he had instincts. He has basketball instincts, you know. And then you then you add the fact that he is you know six foot seven, and now playing guard, he can see over the top of other guys. I mean, uh, you know, uh, it, and he's just got that size to him that he can pass over the top. He's got instincts. He knows how to play. And I, I think that, you know, in this sense, that might be a trade when we look back at it in about, you know, five, ten years, it worked out for both teams. And it just makes a better fit. And I think with, with you know, the Pacers, where they are and with the young talent that they have, that, that I think Halliburton's a great piece to have and to build around because he makes guys around him better. Tim Roy, nice enough to join us, voice of the Golden State Warriors. Tim, selfishly, Brent and I are both play-by-play guys. We admire your work. We admire the broadcasting work across all sports. But a selfish question on this regard, you've been able to call the Warriors championship runs uh, throughout this entire dynasty. Where does last year's rank for you in terms of those championship runs that Steph and company have been on? Well, it, it was a great run. Uh, unfortunately for me, you know, I caught COVID after game four of the finals mm. and was really sick and did not go to Boston for game six. 
And uh, so I was not there, which is fine because the, uh, our TV guy, Bob Fitzgerald, got a chance to call a championship thing, which the TV guys never get to do, right? Because because they stop. So so I was happy for him for that. But but I put that one, you know, right toward the top. But to me, the first one was special because it had been forty years for the for the Warrior fan base, you know, and and you know I know that we're in this. Uh, I'm standing in a hotbed of, of, of basketball in the state of Indiana. If you go to the West Coast, I think if you ask people, you know, the M- best NBA fan base might be the Warriors because we were awful. I mean, we were god-awful for like, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years where, you know, when <laughs> from 95 through uh, 2005 when I, was with, when I got to the Warriors after six years with the Kings, uh, I did not have a team that was above 500. Uh, the first team I had that was above 500 was 0607. They went 42 and 40, and then we did not get another team above 500 until 2012, 2013. So, but our fans never stopped. You know, they were passionate. They got mad when the Warriors would do dumb things. So they, they, they know the NBA game. They know basketball. So I'm, I'm very fortunate to work there. So the first one to me was, was special. This last one's got to be right there. You know, the, uh, it's just, uh, I just, you know, I, I kind of wrap my knuckles on the table and say, how the, how the heck do I have four rings? And there are guys around the league, great announcers like the one you have here in Indiana and Mark Boyle, you know, who do not have one. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And I'm very lucky and blessed uh, to have the job that I have. A lot of great voices, Tim, in the NBA, and uh, four rings, that's awesome, man, and I'm sure those are fully on display for you because I would certainly do the same thing. I want to ask you, Tim, about a guy that we're not going to see in Indianapolis tonight but seems to be cooking down at the G League after what was a tough start to the year. That's James Wiseman. From what I read, just put up 24-16 and against Oklahoma City's G League team. Can you sense that he may be on his way back soon because seemingly things are going pretty well in the G League? Yeah, they're going pretty well, and they're getting. And the most important thing for him is getting reps. You know, I think when when he got drafted, I think everybody, you know, looking uh, at him, kind of looked at him and, and underestimated how little basketball he actually had played. You know, what you got a guy that played three games in college, and he had played basically high school and AAU. So, uh, and then he gets injured, right? He gets injured his first two years. This year was the first time he played summer league. This year was the first time he had a training camp. So to me, I think he's still in his rookie season. And um, so he's getting the reps that he needs right now to figure out. And and the the cool thing they're doing with him down there is they're not just, you know, throwing the ball up. What they're trying to do is get him in situations to where this is how you're going to play when you go up and play for Golden State. You're going to be working with Steph Curry. You're going to set a screen for him here. You're going to, you know, dive the bat. All these things so that he gets into a comfort zone that when he comes back, he can help this team. And he can be a difference maker. He is a large human. He can change shots. He can change minds. He can block shots. He can score. Um, I think the future is bright for him, but his, his confidence has to come back a little bit. And, you know, like any big guy, it's going to take a couple of years before you really understand, you know, what kind of a player you have. Tim, really appreciate you making time for us, especially on a game day. Uh, all the best to you. Have a great call and looking forward to catching it tonight. Uh, guys, I enjoyed the conversation. Have a great rest of the show. Thanks, Tim. That's Tim Roy, play-by-play voice of the Golden State Warriors. Nice enough to take a few minutes 
with us on the Motor Shop in Fishers hotline. Go to the Motor Shop in Fishers, themotorshop.com for all your residential commercial mowers, snowblowers, you name it. They have you covered over at the Motor Shop in Fishers and themotorshop.com. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Paul Allen, the voice of the Minnesota Vikings, nice enough to take some time with us here on The Fan. Paul, how are you doing this afternoon, sir? Yeah, what's going on? Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday to you. I uh, want to jump right in in regards to the Lions' loss to Detroit, 34-23. Over the weekend, the biggest criticism against the Vikings at times uh, over this stretch, and it hasn't been a ton, but if you're hunting for them, it's been the defense and the, the passing aspect of that. Colts fans, it's all they can cling to right now, Paul, is that Matt Ryan's going to rejuvenate himself one more time and finally put together a good passing day. Uh, what did you learn from the Vikings as they continue to show they're a contender but had a tough matchup against a divisional foe this past weekend? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think you laid that out pretty fairly because the, the overarching, uh, the correct overarching take with this team is that it's 10-3 and three and it's going to win the division. But when, when you hone in on the details and, and when you, you know, try to get squared away with the nuts and bolts of what it's going to take to get to a Super Bowl, well, over the last five games, for the first time in franchise history, the team has allowed at least 400 yards defensively. So, you know, that's a very fair part of the narrative. Now, you know, if you look at some of these teams that we've been playing over the last month and change, including the Lions, uh, where their offense has, has gotten really good. I mean, Jared Goff is a very good quarterback. Not great, but very good. And, and they, have, uh, they have really good skill players. So, you know, they hung 30 and change on us. We've also played Buffalo, and we've had Dallas in there, and, and so on. Uh, but nevertheless – the the pass rush or lack thereof for the Vikings is is something that is going to need to become bolstered as they move forward in 2022. And you know, against the Lions, man, they they had allowed 19 sacks the entire season, third third best in the NFL, and we we didn't get to uh, we didn't get to go up one time. But but that doesn't mean that's going to be the case every single game. So that uh, that is a detail uh, on which the team needs to improve uh, if it wants to get to the Super Bowl. Hey, Paul, it's Brendan. And when you look at that Lions game, I mean, divisional games, no matter where you play, usually they're highly contested. Is it not so much of a bad thing that may have happened when it did just so maybe Kevin O'Connell's club can really lock in the next four weeks when you look at the opponents that you're going to have? You know, I'm I'm on the other side of that, and, and I understand what you're saying. But, I mean, it's, you know, the way we beat Green Bay game one, and, and then on Monday Night Football we got killed by Philadelphia, and, and you know, I kind of heard the same thing. And, and then the team rattled off a bunch of wins, and then Dallas, 
put a butt whooping on the Vikings about as badly as I've seen in my time doing this job. You know, well, we didn't hear the same thing after that game uh, because the record was still really good. Dallas has proven to be really good. And, um, you know, there were some concerns that came out of that. Likewise, off the Lions game, where it's, you know, the, the, the losses ha- have been sprinkled in throughout the season, and, and they haven't lost two in a row the entire season. But, it, it, the, you know, with a new regime and running a 3-4 defense as a base here for the first time in 40 years, and, you know, just working through the coverage Jefferson gets, uh, it's a pass-first offense, a head coach calling plays as a head coach for the first time in his life. You know, this is a redo, but it's a redo with talent. So, you know, the way I looked at it and the way I would share with those who listen to me is I'm not really going to focus on the details a ton the first half of the season. But second half of the season, you know, as you guys mentioned, it's fair to get into these details. But it's, you know, when it comes to – something bad happening and being eye-opening for a positive, you know, I just I don't feel that serendipity uh, off that game against the Lions. Paul, Brennan and I were having a debate to start the show regarding how contenders within the National Football League Brendan was mentioning that you want to see them take care of business any given Sunday, particularly in a division matchup. My argument was that it's not necessarily about if a loss pops up on the schedule because they're going to happen, but it's how you respond the next week, particularly against a Colts matchup that on paper, the Vikings should take care of business there. What do you hope to learn the most and what do you observe the most in a matchup against Indianapolis uh, with the Vikings? You're trying to continue to lock things up and continue to show not only can they bounce back, but that that's not a full body of work of what they are with the performance against Detroit on the defensive end. Yeah, I think that's a very fair fair way to look at it. You know, because like when when the team lost to Philadelphia Monday Night Football, same narrative in play into Week Three. Okay, how do you respond? Well, the Lions were at U.S. Bank Stadium, and we were down ten points middle of the fourth quarter, and and then came charging at them and beat them right at the wire. All right, now you know, like if you guys were to take your radio show to Shelbyville and and do it at Indiana Grand or Horseshoe. Well, then you would understand this analogy better than where you're doing it now. You know, I'm, I'm, I've, I've called horse races for 30 years. So it doesn't matter how you get to the winner's circle. Right. As long as you get there, we're all getting our pictures taken and everybody's cashing bets. And then you analyze the race and figure out what did the beast do well and, and what are some things on which it needs to improve. Now, into this Colts game, the, the common thread is the same. Well, whether you beat the Lions or you lose to the Lions, is is defensive lineman Dalvin Tomlinson who's very important to this equation. Well, he he missed he missed a month and change of football, and while he was out, there was one point we were giving up 157 a game uh, against the run, and and then they held the Patriots to 45, so that went down to 127. But that was a little bit of a mirage because the run defense was problematic. So Dalvin comes back and he's played a couple now. But the run defense has gotten better, but not exponentially better. So you look at what's cut, what what uh, uh, Jeff Saturday's bringing into U.S. Bank Stadium Saturday. Well, I mean, if they run Jonathan Taylor twenty consecutive times, I'm not going to be surprised. I would do the same thing until the team that has, has struggled against the run, you know, is able to show you it consistently with the crowd on its side can stop the run. 
you know, we, we've had the crowd on our side before against the run, but like Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard, I mean, they, they, they went for one and high change combined with like four touchdowns. And, and then now here comes this Colts team that lost to the Eagles by one and just gave up 33 in the fourth quarter. You know, but then they get the bye. So, so a late season bye like that sucks, especially when you have a losing record because, you know, you, you, you just want to get a break and like recalibrate and self scout and do all that kind of stuff. Where it's, well, it's a very late bye and it's a bye from four, eight, and one. Uh, but, but there's a new, there's a new voice. So that means what you're going to get is a different pop than you generally would get from a four, eight, and one. And I believe that's going to be guided by the running game. And, and Matt Ryan, where some stuff I've watched with him, and I know we got all those picks and we got all those fumbles and, and number one in the NFL and gives and stuff like that, but he still turns his back on the defense occasionally and offers up some of the best play action that you're going to see. Yeah, Now, they, they, they don't go under center as much as he did with Atlanta, so maybe that's going to be a little bit neutralized. But the details approaching the finish line of the season for the Vikings is you, you better be squared away against Jonathan Taylor or he's going to go for 150, and then you're going to put eight in the box, and the quarterback with all the picks is going to, he's going to neutralize and maximize his arm the best way to get whatever speedy receiver he has in space because yards after catch have been a problem for this defense because they're lacking a pass rush at this stage of the season. So I'm not trying to make the 2022 Vikings sound like smoke and mirrors. This is a team that can get to the Super Bowl. But to get to the Super Bowl, this is a wonderful test Saturday um, because of the running component that you need to stop. And if you don't stop it, you're going to get beat. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The voice of the Vikings, Paul Allen, with us on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. For all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Paul, just to get a scout on your end of things, you mentioned in a previous answer, Kevin O'Connell, in his first year of calling plays as a head coach, his quarterback, Kirk Cousins, has been around a while, has done it a long time. In your mind, what has O'Connell done most to give Cousins this opportunity to lead the ship and give the Vikings a chance to be one of the best teams in the league. Now, now Kirk, uh, for fantasy football players, uh, has been a statistical anomaly uh, because his numbers, for the most part of this season, have not been as big as they have been like in 2019 or even last year uh, uh, during his run with the Vikings. However, he's making the best passes he's ever made in his career. I mean, quite honestly, you know, if somebody were to say the team let Kirk down at Detroit, I wouldn't argue with them uh, because he made about six of the best throws that I've seen all season. Uh, his arm talent is wonderful, um, you know, but, but just getting things around him with the defense, special teams, and the whole thing to work, that, that's what has to start this Saturday. Now, you know, from O'Connell and Cousins' standpoint, 
they were together in Washington when when Kirk, when um, Kevin was the quarterbacks coach, but but that was a completely different situation. Now as the head coach, I think one of the the uh, biggest and best things Kevin has done is he has just assured Kirk, be yourself. Everybody telling you that you don't improvise enough, you don't run enough, you don't move left and right the way people tell you you should. Forget all that and just be who you are, man. You're you're a pocket passer who's incredibly smart with a big-time arm and all the throws from, like, left and right hash to the opposite sideline. He can make all those, and he is. So I think Kevin and, and the staff have empowered Kirk to eliminate whatever noise he hears inside or outside about who he should be, and let's just maximize who you are because it's pretty good. Paul, Colts fans are clamoring for, as we kind of fast forward four weeks through the season, for their next face, the franchise, their next quarterback. For the Vikings, post-Brett Favre, just putting it in a a 12-year sample size, they had tried a little bit of everything to try to answer that quarterback question. Uh, Trades, draft before finally acquiring uh, Kirk Cousins via trade, and he's been uh, you know, a, a stable answer, uh, particularly this season, for the Vikings at QB. Uh, for Colts fans that are, that are struggling with trying to get back to where they were and, and want answers from the front office, uh, often the grass isn't always greener, but it's also a tough journey to finally find that answer on these front offices, is it not? Well, yeah, it is, but I mean, it's my belief is we have the quarterback we need to win the Super Bowl, right? And you know, from a from a even guys like Kirk are hard to find. You know, that's why they dabbled with 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 Carson Wentz and um, and now with uh, with Matt Ryan and so on. I understand what's happening there, and and you know, sadly, Matt's at the end of his career, and, and they probably do need another answer. But but I feel that that we have what we need to win at the highest level. From a Colts from a Colts fan standpoint, obviously the A topic is the quarterback. Because if you don't have the right quarterback, then you ain't gonna win the Super Bowl. But when Matt Stafford was playing in Detroit, there were a lot of people who didn't think he was the right quarterback for any team and he won a Super Bowl. So there's just so much more that goes into truly the ultimate team game with with all these these dots having to uh, connect for, for just a play to work. You know, as so, so therefore getting the quarterback, no doubt. I understand that. Um, and, and I'm not going to try to pretend like, you know, I know everything about Colts football, but I just feel that there is a speed element at the wide receiver spot that they need. You know, that, that uh, Michael Pittman, I mean, he's part of that 2020 wide receiver draft, the greatest wide receiver draft in the history of the NFL, but truly how fast is he? And, and likewise for Paris Campbell and some of these other guys. Uh, the Cincinnati kid I like, but he's very young. So, you know, I just feel that there's a speed component that is needed with the Indianapolis offense, and then I would just start there. And, you know, from a record standpoint, well, I mean, if there are one or two quarterbacks you covet in this upcoming draft, 4-8-1, and one, that's a weird spot. I mean, even if you lose the rest of your games and you finish whatever with four wins, you know, is that going to be in a spot where you can get the right quarterback? If it's not, 
then I would bolster the situation with, with just the best receiver you possibly can find and then and then work around it with, with that nice running game and, and whatever incarnation of the offensive line they head into next year with. You know, and then you get Shaq Leonard and DeForest Buckner and, and Kenny Moore is one of my favorite nickels in the NFL whenever he plays. So, I mean, there are some very good things there. But clearly the situation fell off so that it cost a coach a job during the course of the season, whether the decision was right or wrong, it, it happened, you know? So that's just kind of my look from 10,000 feet at, at exactly what you're talking about. Hey, Paul, this is the last one for me. I want to talk a little broadcasting shop because uh, we both do play by play Jimmy and I, I'm more so on the baseball side um, with the Cubs organization, but uh, for you coming up as an NFL play by play guy, who were some of the guys that took care of you and the guys that you aspired to be and looked up to? Oh, that's a cool question, man. I appreciate it. I uh, can't say I've ever been asked that. Well, um, I've called Vikings football for 21 years. Uh, it's my first play-by-play job at any level. I didn't go to college, and I auditioned for the job, and I won. So, you know, there are two sides of it, being being a Christian and dedicated to the Bible and, and sharing the gospel whenever I get the opportunity. I look at it one way. But for the purpose of an interview like this, um, I think about the best answer is that I, I didn't feel I had all the answers early in my career. So like Kevin Harlan, um, he took a liking to my calls like two or three years into my career. And I never had met Kevin, you know, but he came up to me on a Monday night football game at Soldier Field and introduced himself to me. And, you know, he told me, keep doing exactly what you're doing, but, but tighten a few things up here. Uh, simply because I didn't travel around the country listening to other people's styles and, in essence, you know, subconsciously stealing people's styles. So, for better or for worse, I am me. You know, I'm, I'm just naturally emotional. I describe things a little differently than, than some other people. I'm racetrack raised, so therefore building a crescendo has always been something that I've done into a microphone. So all of that, all of that came together to help me with this career. But when it comes to, um, you know, growing up and listening to certain people, I mean, I've lived all over the country uh, due to divorce. So fortunately, I landed in Los Angeles uh, from ages 13 to about, I'd say, 26. So, I, you know, I laid in bed listening to Chick Hearn call L.A. Lakers basketball. And I laid in bed listening to Vin Scully call the Dodgers. Oh, yeah. Or Bob Miller kill the, uh, call the Kings. You know, so naturally, there is just with the way Chick Hearn called Lakers games, God rest his soul, you know, that that's kind of what I wanted to be and kind of what I looked to look to emulate without without trying to pilfer his style. And um, then after that, you know, you just you you just uh, the best way to put it is to recognize I don't have all the answers. There's an analyst and a sideline analyst and they get the microphone, too. So therefore, let's put them in positions to shine. And through all of that, me being the quarterback of all of that, we will all win collectively. And if we win collectively, then I slash we have succeeded. Paul, in that same vein, last question on my end. Uh, I was watching the Vikings-Bills game. I have cards on the table, Justin Jefferson on my fantasy team. Uh, happy to see the Vikings pull that one out. And then I'm scrolling on TikTok when I get home. And uh, Bill, uh, the Viking social media team uh, has you in the booth. 
and getting the raw emotion of all that. Uh, what was your reaction? I assume you were informed that that clip kind of went viral uh, when you saw that uh, at some point, either post game or later in the week. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a long-winded answer, and and I'm not going to you know kill the segment or your show with that long-winded answer. But once again, there are two ways that I look at it. Uh, the, there's one way from a biblical standpoint where. You know, I'm 28 years into careers where I've done a radio show called Vikings Football and called Horse Races, and I'm not formally trained for any of them. So for whatever the reason, God has my star my star ascending and my following growing, you know, like 30 years into these careers, which, which at age 56 just doesn't happen. Now, the other way to look at it is to be flattered and, and recognize that, that the secular shine is an honor for, for many, many reasons. Um, however, it, it also is fraudulent to a certain extent where, you know, a year and change ago, I blew a game-winning call at Arizona on a kick by Greg Joseph. The first time in my career, I've blown a big call. And, you know, some of these same entities like Barstool would, would have my face with a clown nose on it absolutely destroying me. Now, a year and change later, I'm God's gift to broadcasting. So who am I? Well, I know who I am. The question is, who are you? Well, you're, you're an image-based company or image-based companies looking for clicks and looking for people to follow you and, and, and subsequently help you make money. And I understand that and I respect that, but that's kind of how I put it in perspective is stay grounded uh, where you're never as bad as the negatives say you are and you're never as good as, as LeBron James tweeting you and writing my name and saying I'm a national treasure. So it was a whirlwind. I never had experienced anything like that. But at the end of the equation, when, when it comes to doing from a Christian standpoint what I look to do every day, I just think it's beautiful that God has my star ascending and my following growing uh, at this stage of my career. Well, we're very happy for you, Paul. We look forward to uh, listening and following along as the Vikings continue their season. And best of luck uh, the rest of the way. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. Uh, you guys have a good day. Thanks, Paul. It's Paul Allen, radio voice of the Minnesota Vikings. Join us on the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline. Go to the Motor Shop and Fishers, themotorshop.com for all your snowblower, residential, commercial mowers, whatever you need, all seasons of the year. The Motor Shop and Fishers, themotorshop.com has you covered. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Ryan Walters is the new head coach of the Purdue Boilermakers. The head man coming in to lead the football squad after Jeff Brom went to Louisville from goldenblack.com. Alan Karpik joins us on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Alan, it's Brendan. Great to have you. Ryan Walters introduced this afternoon. What are your first impressions? Well, Brendan, I, I, I think very favorably impressed. He's a hard guy not to be impressed with. Now, he's not not a high-volume, uh, uh, kind of soft voice, but uh, very, very uh, put together, uh, very uh, very direct in what he had to say, but also just kind of a 
uh, he kind of gets the whole big picture. He first thing he said in the press conference today is, "Wow, this is real." So he knows that he's gone from at age 36, he's the youngest coach in the Big Ten, fourth youngest coach I think in in, in college football. He knows that uh, it's a big deal, but uh, he gave every appearance today of being ready to, to be able to do it. Alan, thanks again for making time for us, not just from the press conference, but just for your perspective. I know that he was asked, Coach Walters was, about recruiting the state of Indiana, and he said that he wanted to try to put a fence up around the state. Indiana is going to be a top priority. Obviously, everybody wants to hear that, but the looming shadow of uh, USC, UCLA, let alone from the other schools that are already in the Big Ten, What's the best path for him to go about doing that and successfully defend Purdue as still a, a go-to location, particularly within this state? Well, I, I think that he, and you're right. Everybody would say that, and, and I think he did say that. You know, you obviously want to be able to do what you can in the state of Indiana, but there isn't a coach, whether it be Tom Allen or Ryan Walters or Jeff Brom or anybody that that knows that they can make a living uh, out of Indiana football players. Uh, that just even though the state is much better than it used to be. Uh, back uh, 20, 25 years ago, there's you know, 12, 13 uh, Division One prospects in the state each year uh, on average. So, no, I, I think he knows that uh, Purdue has a national brand, just like a lot of universities, but is able to recruit. Uh, uh, he knows that uh, Texas, Florida, places where you can get kids to make a difference, uh, he's going to go. But I think his best strength is – he just seems to relate very well. You saw a lot of people saw the Devin Mockaby video last night, but also the fact that he's just got got that kind of personality. And he's 36 years old. I mean, he seems like he's barely older than the guys that he's working with in the locker room. And I think that's that is it makes Purdue Purdue. As I always said about Purdue football, the Boilermaker program needs to be unique, needs to have something a little bit uh, different. Uh, to sell. Uh, it's typically been offense under Jeff Brom and Joe Tiller in days past. Uh, I think you've got to now have a young guy that uh, has a very good defensive scheme, but also a guy that I think is going to relate well to players in a world that you have to be able to do that with the transfer portal and NIL. Alan, you led me right into my next question. It's a unique perspective coming to West Lafayette for sure because of the defensive aspect yeah. plus the age, but now how important does the offensive coordinator hire become? Very important, and I think he was first to say that today. Uh, that was the first question I think that was asked actually by our my colleague Tom Deanhart. And that is that you you know he knows that it's got to be fun to watch. He knows that we get, he said we got to put points on the board. We being Purdue, um, and he knows of the tradition. He, he mentioned that the first statement about the cradle of quarterbacks in the den of defensive ends. Well, he knows a lot about defensive ends. He knows football, too. I think I thought one of the things he said in the press conference that I thought was really was good, uh, you know, it was very much the case of being a, being a guy that uh, could relate well. Uh, and also, he said, hey, I'm a defensive coordinator. I know what offenses try to do against me. So he knows good offense when he sees it. And I think that that's a big part of it as well. Alan Karpik, president and publisher of GoldenBlack.com and Golden Black Express. Nice enough to take some time with us. You can follow him on Twitter at Alan Karpik. And of course, this conversation comes to us via the Motor Shop and Fishers Hotline and MotorShop.com. Alan, was Purdue Athletic Director Mike Babinski at all revealing of what stood out the most to him with the hiring of Walters? And if not, what did Babinski share in terms of why he feels confident that this is the right 
higher at the right time for Purdue as they try to not regress but elevate even further? Yeah, I, I think he felt like, and he said, you know, obviously expecting to say all the right things. He talked about 12, 12 about a dozen coaches that uh, were vetted along, uh, along the process. He said that uh, Ryan Walters, uh, again, kind of like a, what I had said earlier about gives Purdue a unique uh, perspective, not only from his age, but also where he comes from, what experiences he's had. And he's a guy that, uh, and we've heard this from other sources, it uh, pretty much blew away the interview when he was in, in there with with uh, Mike Kabinsky and I presume also Mike Berghoff, the chair of the Board of Trustees. This is a guy that really is impressed at the Mexico, and not outwardly impressive. He's not a guy that's just going to, you know, by, by his word salad, make you say, oh, this is, you know, this is it. He is just impressive in his thought process. He's succinct in thought, and he's quietly confident. He said he called himself the best defensive coordinator in college football, and the, and the numbers might uh, uh, bear that out over last year. But also he said, hey, i got to find guys that I can work with that come to Purdue that aren't a part of ego. And, and, and Babinski has talked about that being a, being a really, really, really good fit for what they're trying to do here in West Lafayette. Alan, the expectations for the Purdue fan base, I think everybody should be excited when you get a guy the quality that has led – uh, the Illinois defense to what they were. I mean, they gave up the least amount of points in the country, the second least amount of yards. But is it fair for the Purdue fan base to have the same type of expectations after an appearance in the Big Ten championship game? Or do you need to give Walters a little bit of time to put his fingerprint on the program? Well, I'll be honest. I think when this announcement came out yesterday morning at 1030, it was an underwhelming exp- response by people in our sphere at goldenblack.com just in terms of you know, your message board posters, you know, now that people didn't know a lot about who he was, uh, is, uh, we didn't really talk about him a lot in the search process until the last day. Um, so there wasn't a home run response because there was a lot of feeling in the fan base that, hey, we got to hire a, a name coach and we got the money to do it and we're going to go do that. Well, it didn't end up happening that way. Now, uh, we know from the contract, even though the contract's not public yet, that there's about a million and a half more in the assistant coach pool. And I think that that part of it is, is, is a, is a part to, that gives Purdue a chance to hire a high end uh, coaching staff, Ryan Walters uh, being be able to do that. And I think the fan base is realistic about where Purdue is. Uh, it's a very daunting schedule in 2023. When you add Ohio State and Michigan on the schedule, you've got Fresno State, Syracuse, and Virginia Tech in non-conference. There are no easy games for Purdue, especially in those first seven. So I think the key thing that Jeff Baum did at Purdue was his ability to get the fan base back energized, people back in the stands. I think this guy over time will have a lot of just say those same qualities. He brings a lot of energy to it. Yes, guys, you know, they got to win. That's, 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 that's stating the obvious. But I really do believe Purdue football fans, for the most part, are relatively realistic about the process, and they want their teams to play hard, to be competitive, and to have a chance. It may take a little bit of time just based on that schedule next year and in a potential roster. You're going to be replacing a quarterback in Aiden O'Connell, uh, second-team All-American and Charlie Jones at receiver. That, that's going to take, take some time, but I also think that uh, the fan base will be patient enough with this guy. And I think, at least based on first impressions, they're going to like him as time goes on. Alan, when you look both at Purdue's roster right now, you look at the transfer portal and you look at the recruiting class and, and changes potentially being made with that, uh, with 
Jeff Brom, rightfully so, potentially poaching some of those names and, and potentially bringing them over to Louisville. Where in your mind are the biggest areas that Coach Walters needs to focus on right away and get and hit the ground running to retain and add pieces to this Purdue roster for next season? Well, I think the fact that he's actually it, you know, they've hired somebody and, and, and he's had a meeting with the, with the team last night. They know who it is. Uh, that's a huge thing to just provide that stability. I, I think on Purdue's roster next year, uh, you know, you had, a, you had one of the top offensive linemen going to the transfer portal. You know, you're going to talk about, you know, finding a quarterback. They've got a couple quarterbacks on campus, one being Brady Allen that they liked, that Jeff Brown liked a lot. Uh, we'll see on that front. But I think in the transfer portal world, you're going to need, uh, you know, you, you've got some defensive linemen uh, that you're going to need to replace and they're going to graduate. Uh, you've got some guys in the secondary, but that's going to be the status. That's going to be the norm, maybe a little bit more than usual. So the roster re- rehab is going to be essential. But the good thing is, is that you can do a lot of that in, in, in the transfer portal now. Yes, Jeff Rahm, is, there's, there's been five guys that decommitted, I believe, that are heading to Louisville. Uh, that's not surprising. I don't anticipate many more heading to Louisville. You never know. Uh, but I also think that Ryan Walters, there might have been some guys that were headed to Illinois that might be on defense that said, boy, we really like Ryan Walters. We're going to come to Purdue. So that part of it, you know, before National Signing Day, which is, what, a week from today, uh, he's got a lot of work to do. He knows that. He knows that rosters, the two things he's got to do, roster stability, get that stabilized as much as possible and hire, hire a staff. He's not going to have to worry about coaching the bowl game. But I thought it was interesting also that he said today that, you know, I'm not going to do any evaluating, but I'm going to watch our team play hard in the, in the Citrus Bowl on January 2nd. Purdue is going to have a uh, – it's going to be a team in transition without question. But uh, I thought he was just very realistic about what he was about and what he was bringing to the table uh, in, in his tenure, which has already begun here at Purdue. Alan Karpik from GoldenBlack.com, a great breakdown of Ryan Walters being introduced as the head coach of the Purdue Boilermakers. Alan, we appreciate the time very much. Hope you have a great weekend. All right, guys. Hey, thanks always for having us on. We're always available. We appreciate it. Thanks, thanks Alan. Alan. Alan with us on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and the Mowershop.com.